0: If you will please take your Bible and turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, we're going to pick up our reading where we left off last week, Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to read beginning in verse 18 today, Genesis 2, 18, I'm going to read verses 18 through 23. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man had called every living creature, that was its name. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is God's word. You can have a seat. So we're taking a break from Matthew. And on week one, we just talked about our foundation. The Word of God is our foundation. For every question, every concern, every circumstance, every debate, every fork in the road that we might come to in life, we turn first to the Word of God. And we're influenced by the Word of God. I have a copy of our confession here. Our confession says the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience says the whole counsel of god concerning all things necessary for his own glory man's salvation faith and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the holy scripture unto which nothing at any time is to be added whether by new revelation of the spirit or traditions of men we go to the word we go to the to the bible You don't come to me. As a pastor, I will just go to the Bible. I'm just going to open up the Bible and just help you see what I see. And if I'm wrong, I want you to help me see what you see. I want to be shown if I'm wrong. I don't want to stay wrong. We go to the Word of God. For for every question, we go to the Word of God for the answer. And then week two, we begin to look at God's design for humanity, that God, we saw in Genesis 1, God has set forth His design for humanity in the Bible. And therefore, we must seek, as Christian people, we have to seek to live with all of our might, to live according to His design. Number one, because that works best, it's always going to equal our greatest joy. And number two, because that gives Him the most glory. He gets the glory whenever our lives display His wisdom because we're living by His design. Then last week, we moved into the, the different divisions of human beings. Now, we divide people up into all different categories. You've got men, women, boys, girls, rich, poor, fat, skinny, black, white, you, all these different divisions. In Genesis, it says God created them male and female. And so we began to look at those divisions and we looked at man, God's design for man. And we've seen that just from creation, before the fall, apart from anybody else, that God's design for the man was that he would be a worker, that he would be an image bearer of God, that he would use the creation that he had been given to advance His race and to take dominion over the earth. And this would be how the man spread the glory of God over the face of the earth. This was how God created the man. Now today, we're going to move to women. And the title of the sermon is God's Design for Women. Now, a couple of questions that we have to ask ourselves as we look at this topic. In God's design, are women really equal to men? Do women really have equal value and equal dignity to men? Is it, is it exactly equal? And if so, how can we prove that to be true? And if not, why not? Well, the answer to, to this is, is to be found in how we determine our value, and our dignity. Where do we go to find our value and our dignity? If you want to find how much gold is worth, you, you, some people set that somewhere. And, and you know, our, our money prices are, are becoming, you know, they're, they're losing their value every day. Somebody sets that value based on the, the price of gold and, or whatever. We, we have to de- determine... Where do we find our value? Where do we find our dignity? Now, feminists, since the 60s, moving up until now, have sought to convince us that value and dignity are are, are not found in the fact that we're made in God's image. Value and dignity are found in the woman's ability to mimic man's image. And they say that the genders, the two genders... Are, are only going to be equal whenever a woman can do and is expected to do and, and allowed to do and celebrated to do everything that a man is expected to do and allowed to do and celebrated to do. See, they would equate, or they would say equality equals sameness. If we're equal, then we have to be the same. Therefore, Unless a woman is treated exactly like a man and does all of the things that a man does, then she's not equal. And so they would say, they have said in the past, that as long as a woman is held back, as long as a woman is trapped by conceiving, and bearing, and nurturing children, that she isn't allowed the same opportunities as a man and therefore she will never be equal. And the feminist says that we have to do away with gender roles. We have to do away with male and female, that that men and women should both be allowed and expected to do the exact same things socially and biologically. Yes, biologically. Then and only then will men and women be equal when we all do the same things. Now, when we come to the visible church, We haven't gone quite so far. Evangelical feminism, or what is known as egalitarianism, just agrees that equality means sameness. So to be equal, we must all be expected and allowed to do the same things. Therefore, no matter what the Bible says, women must be allowed and encouraged to lead like men, to provide for their family like men, to be ordained into the ministry like men, and so on. Everything. A woman has to be able to to do everything a man can do or they're not considered equal. They've fallen for the lie that equality equals sameness. But if we go back to what we learned in Genesis chapter 1, we know that we receive our value and our dignity not in the things that we do, or the role that we play, we receive our value and our dignity in the fact that we're made in God's image. Every individual is created in God's image. Therefore, every individual has equal value and equal dignity because they bear God's image, not because they play a certain role or do a certain job. You see, if this carries out, and it has carried out, the unborn baby can't do any job they play no role, therefore, they're worthless. They have no dignity and no value. The elderly person who maybe used to have a great job, but now they play no role. They do no job. They're worthless. Get rid of them. The, the child born with Down syndrome, well, they don't have as much potential as a, a, a normal child, so they have less value and less dignity because they can't do the same jobs and the same roles, so we get rid of them too. See, this is Nazi thinking let's just keep all of the people who are absolutely perfect and can only do the perfect roles and the perfect jobs, because they're the only ones who have value and dignity. We don't believe that. We say every person, every life from conception to the last heartbeat, the last breath has the exact same value and dignity because they are created in the image of God. But that does not mean that every individual does the same job or has the same role. My son Case, I'm not any better of a person than him. I'm not more of a human being than him. But I don't let him drive me to the store. I don't do it because we just don't share the same roles yet. I don't think anybody says, well, that's not fair. you, You should treat him with equality. Nobody does that doesn't mean that every individual has the same roles. Equality does not mean sameness. A woman is not a man. And a man is not a woman. God has a perfect design where we are equal in value. We are equal in dignity because we're both created in His image and yet we have differing roles. And those roles come together and they complement one another to fulfill God's purpose. So I want to talk about the genesis of this design, the beginning of this design. Where did it come from? And I'm going to look at God's intention in the creation of the first woman. And I've divided this up into four headings in in this this little section from 18 to 23. We'll see uh, God declares His design... God reveals man's need. God creates man's helper. And then God's design is cause for rejoicing. So God declares His design. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now notice how if we put this where it goes back into chapter 1 in the creation narrative, this is day 6, notice how this breaks the pattern. Every other day, if you read them, God God saw that it was good, and 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 then He comes to the sixth day after He's made the man, and here He says, it is not good. He's not finished. It's not good that the man is alone. And so we begin this section, and and most of you, if you're familiar with your Bible, you know this is the section that talks about God creating the woman. But what's interesting is that the focus is not ever on the woman. The focus is on the man. Now, no matter how you take that, remember that God says it's not good that the man is alone. Everything in this section is recorded and written down in its relationship to the man. It's not good that the man should be alone. He has no helper. He has no no partner. no, no, No one to commune with. It's not good for God's plan that the man is alone. We know that in God's eternal plan of redemption, there has to be more than one person, so this is not going to work. It's not good for God's design that the man should be alone. In verse 28, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Well, we know that cannot happen with just one man. So, across the board, one man is just not good. It it can't work. Notice, the Lord God said, not man. Man did not come up to God. Excuse me, God. It's not good for me down here. I'm bored. I'm bored. Got nobody to talk to? No. The man had no idea. He, he had no input in this, in this situation. The Lord God said... See, only God could look down on His creation at this point and see His perfect design was not meeting its full potential as long as this man was alone. Now notice I did not say that this man was not bearing his image fully. Because he was alone. See, some people will say that a man cannot fully bear God's image unless he has a mate. Well, then that means Jesus didn't bear God's image. The apostle Paul didn't bear God's image. Nobody bears God's image until they're married. That's not what is happening here. The design that God has and the plan that God has, it's not good yet. And so God is going to continue. He knows that it's not good, and so He decides to make it right. Now, women... Listen to this. God, we're talking God, King of glory, we read this earlier. We sang songs to Him, How Great Thou Art. God, in His infinite wisdom, limitless power, bottomless supply of resources, could have created anything in any, any way that He wanted to, any kind of helper imaginable in the universe for this man to be his perfectly suited helper. And he made you. that You are what he made as a woman. We're talking God made the woman. Don't ever let anybody tell you any different or treat a woman as a second-class citizen or second-class creature. And men, if you see that happening, you step in. And you say, if, if there was a better plan, then somebody wiser and more powerful than God would have had to come up with it. Because this is the greatest plan that could have ever been conceived. This woman was created. God has decided to make it right. But remember, and, and, and this goes along with this, nothing that we read in chapter 2 negates what we read in chapter 1. And nothing we read in chapter 1 negates what we learn in chapter 2. We are all in God's image and we are all equal in value and dignity because we're in God's image, not because we have different roles. Notice the perfection of God's design here. He says, I will make a helper, I will make him a helper fit for him. A helper is, is an assistant. Is one who comes alongside the primary to give aid where necessary. That's an assistant. So so if your job is a plumber's assistant, okay, you're not a plumber. You don't do the job of a plumber. You're not required to do the job of a plumber. If, If a job goes south and a house is ruined, you're not held accountable for the work. Because you're not the plumber. You come along and you help the plumber. Some of you ladies might hold a a, a degree, or men hold a degree called a CNA, Certified Nurses Assistant. You're not a nurse. You don't do the job of a nurse most of the time. You're not required to do the job of a nurse most of the time. You assist the nurse. And if a job gets botched, you say, the nurse did it. I was just helping. That's an assistant. So, God says, I will make him a helper, an assistant, an aid fit for him. Now, this is good. If you use in the English Standard Version, you have a footnote at the bottom that says, or corresponding to him. This is perfectly suited. This is like a puzzle piece. Now, we all know that feeling when you've got a puzzle, big or small. And you've tried pieces that you swore from a distance would go together, and when you get them close together, they don't fit. But then you finally find two pieces and they do fit. That little twinge of just like, man, that's so cool that they go together. I mean, it's just, but they slide right together because they're a perfect match. This is what's being described here. The perfect corresponding helper. Oddly enough, this may play in here somewhere, puzzle pieces only fit together because they are opposites. This one has a protrusion, protrusion where this one has a depression and they come together as opposites. Two puzzle pieces that are the same won't fit together. So God is making, He says, He's declaring, He's going to set out to make the perfectly suited perfectly corresponding, matching helper for this man. It matches at every point. And then notice the purpose of God's design. I will make a helper fit for him. That's for the man. The goal was to make a helper for the man. So God's intent is to make an aid, an assistant, a helper for the man that he'd already made. So, So woman was not made for herself or to serve her own purpose. The woman was not made to go out on her own and and form her own identity. Woman was created for the man. It's a great picture of, of headship. The woman was created for the man. So God declares His design. Second point, Our second heading, God reveals man's need. God reveals man's need. Look at verses 19 and 20. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Now, when you read this, a lot of times, and for me, reading this in the past, this just seems out of place. God says, I'm going to make a helper, and then all of a sudden we're naming the animals. And it doesn't seem like it goes in this section of Genesis. But it does fit. This is exactly what God had in mind and Moses' Comes to write this here to explain what's happening here. And there, there's a twofold purpose in Adam's naming of the animals here. Number one, God is showing man's dominion over the animals. And number two, God is showing man his need. Notice it says that God brought these animals to the man to see what He would name them. So you could picture the animals lining up at the man. He wasn't running around chasing them. They, they weren't running and hiding. He wouldn't get back here, i got to give you a name. There was none of that. They were lined up in order at the man to receive their title, their name. And God was the one who ordered it this way. He brought them to the man. And we know all throughout Scripture that the name is bestowed by the superior. God is the one who called man, man. In Genesis 1.26. In Genesis 4.1, Eve will name her first son Cain. In Genesis 4.25, she will name another son Seth. Later on in Genesis, God comes along and changes people's birth names. Abram, you will now be Abraham. Sarai, you will be Sarah. Jacob, you will be Israel. The name is bestowed by the superior. So he's displaying man's authority, his dominion over the animals. And then secondly, he's making the man aware of his need. Remember, Adam had no idea that he had a need. He didn't know what a helper was. He didn't know what a woman was. He'd never seen another person. Remember, if you want to know what it's like to be wet, you don't ask a fish. They, they, they can't explain it. That's all they know. So you wouldn't go to Adam and say, hey, Adam, what's it like to be lonely? Because he had no concept of not being lonely. So God wants Adam, He wants the man to see his own need. Well, how does that work? Well, that's what happened in verse 20. So picture this. The animals begin to line up at Adam. And along comes a big cat. And he's got a big flowing mane that just appears to be this, this regal sash just, just proclaiming nobility. He's majestic and he's, he's royal looking. He just looks like the king of the jungle. And so Adam says, "Lion." But then right behind lion, there's another one that looks just the same. Adam probably thinks, man, I just wasted lion. There's another one that looks, But it's just a little different. This one doesn't have a mane. She's a little smaller. Her muscles look a little different. She's a little more agile. She looks like she's kind of built for speed. Well, this is the lion's helper. This is lioness. Along comes another am- animal. This one's a little taller than lion. He's big antlers protruding off of his head like a like a crown and he's sort of he 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 comes walking and he'll stop and he'll kind of look make sure the coast is clear he'll walk a little bit further he'll stop and he'll look around and make sure the coast is clear and he'll walk a little bit further and he kind of walks with a little bit of a, a swagger in his step kind of dragging his hooves and and Adam says this is dear but as soon as he comes out of the bushes, well, there's another one that looks just like him, except he's a little bit different. She doesn't have the antlers. She's a little smaller. He walks with a little different poise in her step. Well, this is the deer's helper. This is, this is a doe. This is a female deer. And behind the deer comes a bird. Now this bird, his, his breast is, is colored with the, the most brilliant, brightest, Blue that you've ever seen in your life, with with green feathers flowing behind him like a like a the, a train of a robe, just in in an attractive glory. This bird comes strutting up to Adam, and he says, "This is a peacock." But right behind the peacock, there's another one that looks almost exactly the same, except she's not attractive at all. She's just brown. As a matter of fact, Adam almost couldn't see her for the bushes. She blends right in. She would be perfect. For for hiding. Well, this is she's obviously with the peacock, but she's a little different. She's the pea hen. She's his helper. Most of y'all probably didn't know a peacock is a male, a peahen hen is a female. I looked it up. <laughs> so so Adam's naming all these animals, and then he looks at himself and he says, I'm man, I'm I'm big, I've got broad shoulders, I'm I'm built for work. And then he looks around and he sees. There's no helper for me. I've got no corresponding mate. No, no helper. And so now that man sees this theme of nature, he's able to see where he lacks. He can see his need. And so now, God is able to come through in a dazzling display of wisdom and glory and power as He creates exactly what the man now realizes he needs, but he never knew that he needed before. See, if man never knew what he needed, he wouldn't worship God whenever he had it. But now that he knows exactly what he needs, and when God comes through to create exactly what he needs, it gives opportunity for worship. So God reveals to the man his need. Third heading God creates man's helper. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So the Lord God caused deep sleep. So so, now that the man sees his need, in light of that fact, God is now going to, to get to work. He's moving to action. And he brought this deep sleep on Adam. This was not a nap. This was something deep. And, and we don't really know why. Now some would say, well, of course, if he's cutting him open and taking his rib, he wants him to be asleep. But we know that God could have done all of this pain-free, never felt it. We, we know that. So we, to say, well, he had to be you know, under anesthesia so that he wouldn't feel it, that doesn't make... A whole lot of sense. We don't really know why. He could have done this because he just wanted Adam to be surprised. I wonder if he didn't do this so that Adam could take no credit for what happened. He'd say, well, I was asleep. You know, he wakes up groggy and there's this woman there. But we really don't know why he put him asleep. Why did he use a rib? Well, again, we don't really know. People have conjectured all throughout history, but we really don't know why he used a rib and not a a big toe or an ear or something else um why did he use a part of his body I, I think earlier in the chapter we we have a good hint in chapter 2 verse 5 remember there was no bush of the field there was no and remember in hebrew the bush of the field was the plant that would produce the grains that that needed a man to come along and work the ground, and to work the grains so that they would be edible. And there was none of those because there was not yet a man. And so what did God do? He created a man so that those things could be there. What did He create the man out of? He created the man out of the very dirt that had not yet produced those plants. So, I'm going to say this slowly. I'm I'm just going to read it. So, in that instance, God used... The very thing that needed cultivation, that is the very thing that needed help in bringing forth its greatest potential, He used that very thing to create the thing that would be used to cultivate it. He created the man out of the dirt. And then told the man, get to work on the dirt so that the dirt will bring forth its greatest potential. So when we talk about men, we say, remember, men, you are from dirt. We're like animals. Men and animals, we both come from the ground. But as men, we also have a very unique connection to work and labor and toil. and, And especially ground work because that's the very ground we were taken out of. We were created to work it because we come out of it. So we come to this section. Verse 21. God uses the very man that needed cultivation, that needed needed work to bring forth his greatest potential to form the thing that would be used to help him achieve that greatest potential. There was not yet a woman, and so God used the man to create the woman. So, So women... Remember, you're not from you don't. Your origins are not found in the dirt like a man, like a like an animal. Your origins are found in the body of the man. So you're not like men, and you're not like animals. You are your very own special creature, like no other in the universe. But also remember that as a woman, you have a very unique connection, a God-designed closeness and intimacy found with man. That you will not find with any other creature on the planet. A dog is not a man's best friend. A woman is. God did not create a dog for a man. He created a woman for the man. And then he brought her to the man. Just like he did the animals. Brought her to the man. This is another picture of of male. Headship, male leadership. Remember, the central figure is still the man. Everything is in relationship to the man, but now his counterpart is created and brought to him and presented to him. Paul references this in First Corinthians chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. He says, For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Now this does not negate value. It does not negate dignity. It does not mean man is better, man is worth more, woman is lesser. None of those. Remember, chapter 2 does not negate anything we learned in chapter 1. We're still equal in value and dignity. And look how the man responds in our last heading, God's design is cause for rejoicing. Verse 23. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. When you read that, this at last, you can can sense the excitement in Adam's voice. A modern... When he says, this is at last bone of my bones, a modern translation of the Hebrew of this would be something to the effect of, yippee! That's what it would be. Glory to God, I've got someone like me. And all of us men should think that way when we look at our wives. God has made us a perfectly suitable helper. She shall be called woman. He names her just like he did with the animals. Shows headship. Shows authority. God made her for the man. He brought her to the man. He had already given the man authority. The man uses that authority to name her and he rejoices in what God has made. God's design is cause for rejoicing. Not fussing. Not arguing. Not complaining. So, application. Application. Women, the Word of God exhorts you to to this design. Men, young men, old men, we are to appreciate this. Treat women with all of the infinite value and, and worth and dignity that is found in this design. And parents, we need to raise up our young women to see the beauty in this. So, three points of application. Just like with the man, we're going to build on what we learned the first week. We'll add some to these. So we're going to bear God's image. Ladies, bear God's image. Help God's man. And submit to God's order. That's that's what we learned. Pre-fall, bear God's image. Help God's man. Submit to God's order. Many in, in the, the evangelical feminist movement would, would argue and say, no, 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 that male headship stuff, that's only a result of the fall of sin. And because we're redeemed now, we should throw off the chains of male headship. Well, we see here before the fall multiple instances where the man is clearly the head. Again, that's not more value, that's not more dignity, that's not better. It's just structure. It's like in the military. A commanding officer is not worth more or better than than a private. They just have different roles. They have different titles. So, bear God's image. We have to relate to God, women. Relate to God. Your identity as a woman is found first and foremost in your relationship to God. You are the clay. He is the potter. He calls the shots. He sets the structures. He sets the boundaries. He sets the patterns. He sets the goals. It's not found in in how you look, how you dress, what other people say about you. None of those things are where you find your identity. It's found in your relationship to God. And if you are a Christian, God sent His Son Jesus to die to redeem your sin-sick soul, and now He calls you His daughter. That's your identity, daughter of the King of glory. So we start there. My identity is found in my relationship to God. But you are also to now, as a Christian, know God. Like I just said, we only know God through a relationship with Jesus. Only through Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And that's man as in men and women, all people, mankind. So we come through Jesus, and then as believers, women, you must pursue a relationship, pursue the knowledge of God constantly through a study of the Word and prayer. Desire to know God more than anything else. It's really easy for women to say, oh, I, oh, I want to know God. Oh, I, I, You know that I aspire to know God. In, in Word, we say that, but can we look at your life and say that's a woman who hungers and thirsts after a knowledge of God more than she thirsts after a knowledge of celebrity gossip and television shows and blogs and articles and recipes and everything else that fog up a woman's mind is the knowledge of God your priority as a woman. This is not just a man thing. You know, let the men deal with theology and we'll just... No, all of God's creatures people that bear His image are to know God. But as a woman, you are also to love God. Pursue a love relationship with God in Christ above all else. Love God more than you love your husband. Love God more than you love your children. Love God more than you love your parents and your family. He must be Number one, willfully, emotionally desire to honor God by obeying Him as a woman according to His design. Relate to God. Relate to others. Women are especially designed for this. This, this intimacy and in relationship that men just were, were boggled by it. When a woman says, yeah, I, just want some, I just want to talk. I've been talking. No, but I will I just want to talk. Well, I've been talking. Yeah, but you know, you know, but we're not talking, talking. No, we're talking. Women have this, this, this thing about connectivity on a level that we men simply cannot, will not fathom. You have the ability to relate to people in a way we cannot. So use this not for gossip, not for slander, not for backbiting, but for the glory of God for His kingdom, for the advance of the kingdom, for the spread of the gospel. Relate to others in this way. And in the weeks to come, we will add on top of that your husband and your children to relate to others and then relate to creation as an image bearer of God. Relate to nature. He said in Genesis 1.28, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Studies have shown... Listen, this is statistics. You can't argue with the numbers. Studies have shown it is physically impossible for a man to multiply and fill the earth without a woman. Can't happen. We have to have a woman. And we cannot subdue the earth without more people, which requires a woman. Number two, so bear God's image. Number two, help God's man. Help God's man. Definition of God's man, the man to whom God has given you specially as corresponding helper and perfect friend. That is husband. Is another word. God's man in your life. Help God's man. And remember what we learned last week. God's design for men... To work, to advance, to subdue, to rule, to to delight in creation, to, to to worship in all things. That was how God created the man. And now the woman comes along as the perfectly suitable helper to help him do these things. So, women, aid or assist God's man in fulfilling the plan, or we could say the vision, God has given him. Some of you women might need to go home today and ask your husband, what is the vision that God has given you for our family? What's, what's the plan? Five years, 10 years, 40 years, what's the goal? Where are we going? What's the deal? Are we, do we, is there any goal? we just floating. And then once you get that nailed down, what has God called you as far as our vision, then you are perfectly designed to come alongside Him and you two work together to achieve that, to achieve that goal. Secondly, aid God's man in filling the earth and subduing it. That's spreading a godly seed. This is generational faithfulness. Multiplying. Listen, women, this is your design. The feminists say you're trapped by it. Well, there's no way to get out of it. Only women can have children. This is how God God made it. Now, we will see in weeks to come how childbearing has been affected by the fall and how there are hardships and there are difficulties. I'm not blind or unaware of the things that that come along with this. But remember that God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. He's never retracted that. He's never said, okay, let's stop being fruitful, let's stop filling the earth, and let's just coast now. He's never said that. There are people who, who have suggested the earth is getting too full, let's stop now. We're going to quit now. We're going to fill up the earth. You know, everybody on the planet could fit into one of the states in America. We're not going to fill up the earth. It's not going to happen. Those people spread that lie so they could make money off of a pill that women take to stop life. It's not true. God says be fruitful and multiply. And then the third thing is is aid God's man in in the delight of all of creation as worship, or just aid God's man in worship. Again, women just have this this ability to to find out these, to notice these details, these special under-the-surface details of things that can draw our hearts and our emotions into worship that men often miss. We're so focused on surface things, and we need a woman to come alongside us and just nudge us and help us to notice and help us to worship especially. We need your help. Bear God's image, help God's man, thirdly, submit to God's order. God has created an order. We're not ambiguous persons or people. God created us male and female, and He has established an order. Colossians 3, 18 and 19, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. I'm not going to cover all of this today. This is just getting us ready for the weeks to come. There is an order. What does this not mean? This does not mean men are better, women are worse. Men are, men are more worth more and women are worth less. Men are more God's image and women are less God's image. Men are more spiritual, women are less spiritual. It does not mean that. It does not mean all women must submit to all men. It does not mean, Listen! pay attention, I'm your leader, do what I say. It does not mean that. It does not mean you can be domineering and bossy, and it does not mean a woman is supposed to be a doormat to every man and say, yes, sir, no, sir, just do what she's told, no matter what, that's not what it means. This submission is willful, loving submission to your own husband. It is looking to him for spiritual leadership and is letting him set the pace under God, for the direction of your family as a whole. Now why is that important? Well, we learned this several weeks ago, because when we submit to God's design, we display God's wisdom. And when we display God's wisdom, we, we expose the world to God's glory. See, wisdom is just one face of the multifaceted diamond of God's glory. And when the world sees the the design of God and the wisdom of God, they are exposed to just a little bit of His glory. And that's what we want to do. We want the world to see the glory of God. And we also display God's nature. Listen to this. This is important. This is the most important thing. We display God's nature when we submit to God's order. John 14, 31, Jesus speaking. I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus does what He has commanded. He's under authority. He's, he is in submission to the Father. And the purpose is so that the world knows that He loves the Father so that the world knows there is a unity within the Godhead, the Trinity. So when we throw off distinctions and we throw off our roles and we say, well, if a woman submits, that makes her less. And if a, woman ta- if a man takes leadership, that makes him more, then we're, we're saying that the relationships within the very Godhead are the same way. If a woman is less because of submission, then that means Jesus is less because of His submission. If a man is is a a pig-headed barbarian because he leads spiritually, then that means God the Father is a pig-headed barbarian because He gave the Son a mission to carry out and commanded Him. The very nature of God is wrapped up in our holding to these roles in, in the headship of the man over the woman. And so we can't Take this lightly. This is not something we say, well, you know, you hold it that way and I have it this way. And No, it's, it's, it's serious. This is the nature of God. Remember, He said, let us make man in our image. The Trinity, this is the nature of God. And remember that Jesus was obedient. Jesus was submissive all the way to the cross. He died and then His Father raised Him from the dead, seated Him at His right hand, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, and now He rules and reigns over all things. He's been given as the head of the body to the church, and now we as the church, the bride, submit to Christ lovingly and willfully. This is the nature and the character of God wrapped up in the design of man and woman. There's far more at stake in the design of man and woman than just who gets to preach or who gets to wear the pants in the family. This is, it's, 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 as Paul would say, and we'll see next week, it's a mystery. But I'm telling you, it's about Christ and the church. Let's pray.